Your reading this morning comes from John 1, verses 19 to 34. And this is a testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Thanks, Heather. Good morning. So just on the front end, this is John writing about John. It can be a little confusing. I I try to make it plain when I mean the apostle and when I mean the Baptist. And so uh, make sure you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You may have noticed that last week I passed over verse 15. It reads, John, that is the Baptist, bore witness about him, that is the Christ, and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. The the Apostle John included this in order to helpfully point us back to verses 6 through 8 and forward to our passage this, this morning. It's this parenthetical deal that I'm talking about him, and I'm talking about him, and keep him in mind in the middle. In 6 through 8, as a reminder, I already preached this, but John the Apostle introduced John the Baptist as the one sent by God to announce or bear witness to the coming of the Christ. And then in our passage for this morning, 19 to 34, John the Apostle describes what that looked like in action. So he sort of stated it in principle in his introduction, and now he's about to describe it in narrative form in action. Again, verse 15 reiterates that John the Baptist knew he wasn't the main character. That's the point. John the Baptist knows he's not the main character and that his job was to announce the one who is, namely Jesus. So all of that is meant to cause us to wonder. If you've been paying attention to where we've gone and you Leaning into the passage this morning, you're you're meant to wonder, how is John going to do this? What we know is he's not the point, but he's coming to 
draw attention to the point. His job is to cry out, how, how, what's that going to look like? What form will that take? The idea makes sense, but what would the reality look like? This morning, then, we'll look at the manner in which John the Baptist bore witness to Jesus as the Christ. So I'm going to give you two main points and two main takeaways. Here are the main points. John the Baptist, although growing in influence and reputation, made it clear over and over and over that he is not the point Jesus was. So remember that. See that in the text. Even though John had every opportunity to make this about him, he didn't. His job was to point to Jesus. The second main point of the passage is that Jesus is the point because he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world and baptizes with the Spirit. John couldn't do any of those things and wasn't any of those things. Jesus alone was. That's why he's the point. Here are the two main takeaways, things I hope you leave with. I hope you leave believing and your life is transformed by these. Number one, like John the Baptist, we are charged to engage in the ministry of heralding the Christ. You have to do that. If you're calling on the name of Jesus, declaring Jesus to the world is your privileged responsibility. We must engage in ministry as followers of Jesus. And then second, we must constantly fight to remember that Jesus is the point of that ministry. Again, just like we see through John the Baptist. So let's pray that God would help us to see these things and live them out in all of our lives. God, we, we love you. We thank you for John the Baptist's example of you bearing remarkable fruit through him and his ministry, and yet constantly and emphatically and unapologetically and unwaveringly refusing to steal glory that belongs to Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for that. May we see that plainly in this text and may we live that constantly in our lives. I pray that your spirit would help us to those ends and whatever else you see fit to do through this passage this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're now into the narrative portion of John's gospel. We just finished up his introduction where he gave us the categories that he's going to show us in the life of Jesus. It is we're now into the what is called the book of signs in John's gospel. And it begins with, do you notice this? Look, look at the very beginning. It begins with John the Baptist already having built a significant name for himself. You notice that John the Apostle doesn't tell us a lot about why that is. There's this delegation that's coming up to him to interrogate him. But he doesn't really tell us why. We get, we get some idea of it conceptually in the introduction. He gives us hints to what's behind that. But in John's gospel alone, John already has this reputation and he needs to be addressed because of it by some Jewish leaders. It's just there. So as I just mentioned, in, simplest, in the simplest possible way, John stated that he came to bear John the Apostle stated that John the Baptist came to bear witness to the Christ, and he claimed that Jesus was the Christ. That's that's it. That's all he just said those things in his introduction. That's all John records of John the Baptist's ministry. But here there's a, a commotion. Where'd that come from? Now those claims are a big deal, right? That the, the, the Christ is coming and Jesus is the Christ, but lots of people made lots of claims that A delegation from Jerusalem didn't come to try to investigate. So why did John's 
John the Baptist's ministry rise to this level? What, what was going on? doesn't seem, with what John tells us in his gospel alone, that it would rise to the level of, in verse 19, the Jews, causing the Jews to send priests and Levites from Jerusalem. So what's going on? The other three gospels fill us in. They give us a bit more. Luke alone tells us the story of John the Baptist's miraculous birth. Maybe you know this. His father, Zechariah, was an Israelite priest. His mother, Elizabeth, was barren, and both were old. One day, Zechariah was chosen to offer incense as a priest in the temple. While there, the angel or an angel of the Lord told Zechariah that God had heard his prayers. He and his wife, Elizabeth, had prayed for a child for who knows how long, and an angel came to say, the Lord has heard your prayers, and they will be answered. What's more, the angel instructed Zechariah to name the child John, to have him take, it's called a Nazarite vow. Talk about that in your DG. If you don't know what the Nazarite vow is, talk about that in your DG this week. And the angel also promised that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit would just come upon people until Pentecost and come and go, but John would have the Holy Spirit fill him from birth in order to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, speaking the word of God. Matthew adds to this. That's all just in Luke. Matthew joins Luke in telling us that John preached a message of repentance. He called on all who would listen to turn from their sins and be baptized. It just says he was baptizing in John, but but we learn from the other gospels that he was calling them to repent and be baptized because the kingdom of God was near. Mark joined those two in recording John the Baptist promising that the Christ was near and would baptize not simply with water or merely with water, but with fire and the Holy Spirit. On top of all that, Matthew tells us he dressed funny and he ate weird things, camel's hair and bugs and wild honey. And as a result, and it is a result of all of those things, him preaching and all of Jerusalem coming out, it says Jerusalem and all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan were going to him, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. That, that fills the sin a little bit more, doesn't it? John doesn't tell us any of that. He just picks up after all the, the commotion that that had caused. In short, John the Baptist had a remarkable birth story that certainly had spread. In addition, when he was around 30 years old, he kind of, like Jesus, went silent for about 30 years And then, though, the word of God came to him. God spoke to him and commanded him to begin preaching to everyone who would listen. The main message he was charged to preach was one of repenting and readying oneself for the coming Christ. By the Spirit's power, this message was cutting to the heart of Abraham's offspring, to the Jews. And they were coming out in hordes to hear his message and respond in repentance and baptism. With all of that added to the little John the Apostle gives in his gospel, it's quite a bit easier to see why things were as they were by the time we come to John 119. That is, how John had caught the attention of the religious leaders. So interestingly, its delegation comes from Jerusalem to him. As John the Apostle records the account, the first question they ask is, who are you? <laughs> who, who are you? I don't... They don't really mean what's your name. They mean who are you? What are, what are you doing? What what authority do you have? What 
What do you understand yourself to be? Seems like a, a fairly straightforward question. They wanted to know who this man was that had risen up so powerfully among the masses. He hadn't come up through their usual ranks, that is their ranks, and they didn't know what to make of him. And so there's two parts to his answer. His answer is interesting, though, right? Who are you? You know, if somebody were to come up to you, they they see in the in the store, who are you? You'd say, you know, I'm I'm Bob, and you know, I, I'm an electrician, and or something. I'm I'm Sally, and I'm a mom, or. But you could tell there's more going on here because of John's answer. These Jewish leaders hadn't traveled more than 20 miles over several days, one way with the return trip being way uphill, much more difficult, to find out his name. They wanted to know who this man was, what was going on, what, how, how, how did he get to be where he was, and why were people responding to him the way they were? They came out to find, we know from John's answer, whether he understood himself to be the Christ, and that was a serious matter. Again, John says, John the Apostle showed us this earlier. He said in the introduction, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Well, in in this story, we see it in verse 20. John answered them, "Who, who are you? He said, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They didn't ask him, are you the Christ? But you can tell what was underneath their question. John knew it. I am not the Christ. He made no claim to be that. He hadn't come to make a name for himself. And so they asked the next logical question. Well, what then? Are you Elijah? Do you know why that's the next logical question? I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, that's weird. How do you, how do you get from there to there? Why would they ask if he was a prophet from several centuries earlier? The initial question might have made sense in light of the reputation that John was gaining and the things that he was saying, but the follow-up question is, it's, it's curious if you don't already know. Imagine standing on the sidelines of your kid's soccer game all decked out in team gear, and it would make sense if someone came up to you and said, hey, are you the coach? You said, well, no, I'm not. And they said, well, what then? Are you George Washington? I don't, I don't see how you got from there to there. That's what it seems like on the surface, though, doesn't it? Again, if you don't already know the answer, that's a funny question. A centuries-long, dead, sort of-ish prophet. What's the deal here? Well, as you may know, it's not like that. It's not like the coach in George Washington. Given the fact that their Christ radar was up, they're thinking in terms of the Messiah, they're thinking in terms of the Christ, and given the fact that John had just denied he, he wasn't the Christ, he wasn't the Messiah. It really was the next logical question to the Jewish mind at that time to say, well then, are you Elijah? If, if you, you can look this up later, but in Malachi 4, 5 and Malachi 3 as well, God promised to send the prophet Elijah back before the Christ. He said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. They were asking then, rationally, reasonably. If you're not the Christ, you just said you're not. If you're not the Christ, are you the one who has come to announce his coming? Well, more curious than the question then, if we understand that, was John's answer. From what we saw in the introduction and what Jesus himself said about him in Matthew 11, Jesus said, if you are willing to accept it, he, that is John the Baptist, is Elijah who was to come. 
we fully would expect John to say, yes, you got it now. <laughs> I'm not the Christ. It's silly you would ask. But I am Elijah. I am the one that God has sent to announce the coming of Jesus. But instead, he says, you can see it in the text, I am not. I'll save you lots and lots and lots of pages. You might read about this. Here it is, one one paragraph. The simple fact of the matter is either John didn't understand that that was the role that he was fulfilling, or he was answering the question that the Jews probably were actually asking. Are you literally Elijah? They, They misunderstood what this prophecy would mean, that Elijah, literally Elijah, the person would return. Well, either way, regardless, we can be confident that John wasn't lying, but at the same time, we can also admit we aren't exactly sure why he said no. The fact is, he was the fulfillment of the Malachi prophecy. Jesus tells us that. Now, here's here's five sentences that are parenthetical, and this also I would really like you to talk about in your DG this week. So DG leaders especially, ask this question. It's a good time right now to remind you of something about the narrative accounts in the Bible. A lot of serious errors, probably often well-intentioned, but serious nevertheless, have been made by missing what I'm about to say. All right, what am I about to say? Narrative simply tells you what was. A, A story just tells you what was, what happened, not necessarily what should have happened or what ought to be. It tells you what is, not what ought to be. In other words, John the Apostle is simply recording what John the Baptist said that doesn't tell us necessarily anything about whether he was right or wrong. Does that make sense? All it's telling us is what happened, not what should have happened, or even if what happened or what was said is true. We have to go elsewhere, like the words of Jesus I just quoted for you, to know what is true, to test the things that are said and done. This is equally true when we see what the early church leaders did. Just because the narrative account tells us they did something doesn't mean they should have done it, much less that we should imitate them in perpetuity going forward. Again, we need something more to conclude that. Make sure you talk about this in your DGs. Narratives just tell you what happened, not whether or not it was right or true. All right, you with me? End of the parenthetical statement. We're going to get this all over in the Gospels. Uh, So from there, the priests and Levites just worked down their list of the next likely possibility. They said, are you then the prophet? And the is a key word there. They don't say a prophet. Are you the prophet? More than likely, they had Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18 in mind. The Lord, your God, this is a promise, will raise you up through Moses. This is talking to Moses. The Lord, your God, will raise uh, raise up for you a prophet like me, that's Moses, like me, Moses, I'm not Moses, you know what I mean, from among you, from your brothers, it is to him that you are to listen, and I will raise up from them a prophet, this is God, like you, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they're wondering, are you that? Well, John rightly answered, no. We learn from the New Testament that that was a prophecy about the Christ himself, and Again, John knew he wasn't that. So fresh out of ideas, they, they did their best. They asked a few questions. They came back to the very beginning, all the way back. Okay, just tell us then, who are you? You're, you're not the Christ. You, you're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Just tell us. 
Who are you then? What what is going on here? What do you say about yourself? John's reply was clear and decisive and bold. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The answer simultaneously com- communicated two critical things. First, John's role, once again, you'll hear this over and over, was that of herald, not Lord. His job was to announce the coming of the Christ, not to draw attention to himself. And second, he claimed the Isaiah prophecy, Isaiah 43, for himself. And therein revealed that he was not the herald for any merely human person. So he just drops that in front of them. How about that? (laughs) That's who I am. What are you going to do about it? We're left wondering how they would respond. I remember meeting a man in in the hospital. We were there with one of our kids for a long, a lot, quite a while. And so was this other man. And I would get stressed out, need to go sit in a in a common area, family lobby, and pray and clear my head. And and the family area, the lobby area, happened to be right across from a room where there was a guy that I, I grew up sort of Catholic church-ish, and the priests would wear these interesting robes and all that. And it was like an all-black version. The guy was always wearing an all-black version of sort of the Catholic garb that I grew up seeing. And he was, what I surmised, was praying a lot, and but in a posture I had never seen, and it was just very, uh, lots of motion and things like that. And, and all this is just me looking through the window into the hospital room that he was in. And anyway, after a couple of days, he ended up in the same room that I was and was able to strike up a conversation with him. And I asked him just a couple of questions. And it was obvious right away that none of my questions made sense. They just didn't fit the categories he was operating in. I, he, he said something to the effect of, I'm training to be a lawyer. I'm like, oh, interesting. What law school? No, not like that. He said, not like that. Uh, a lawyer among my people. I'm a, I'm a Orthodox Jew, and he went on to describe a little bit more about. And I said, "Well, what does that mean? Do you, you know, you argue in court or something?" Or and just none of the questions landed for what he was, what he was, and what he was describing. My questions didn't fit his system. It was kind of like how wet is red, or why is seven angry? It just it didn't make sense. The questions just didn't fit the context, and I couldn't figure out why. I didn't have the right categories. Although John was clear, the Pharisaical delegation apparently still didn't get it. Therefore, look at verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why are you doing what you're doing then? Because those are the only people we read into their questioning that should be doing that. If you're not any of them, why are you doing this? Again, they could not understand who John was or what he was doing. And we'll see this over and over in Jesus' ministry. They just had all the wrong categories for the Christ, the Son of God, standing before them. His teachings, his actions, the impact they were having, the mission that he was on and claimed for himself just didn't fit their categories. His answer probably didn't clear much up for them, even though it's sweet to us. Here's his answer. John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You just just have to picture these guys. They've been sent by other people. They're not quite sure who this guy is or what to make of this. And he just keeps talking weird. 
they're, they're just, you, you, you can picture this. They don't know what to do. The, the main point John was making ever more clearly, little by little, more clearly, was that the Jewish delegation was making a big deal about the wrong guy. That's his main point is don't get worked up about me and what I'm doing. I'm not even the guy. Whatever John's mission and whatever attention he'd garnered for it, he was merely a precursor to the real thing. Whatever significance that he had, whatever ways God had blessed him, it was only to give more weight to his claim that his role was to announce the coming of the one whose sandals he was not worthy to untie. His ministry was to prepare with water for the one who would come with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's a good lesson for us in this two grace. It seems that every few weeks, maybe you don't pay attention to this. I kind of hope you don't. But it seems that every few weeks, another prominent pastor, some pastor that we've heard of, or ministry leader is stepping down or being forced to step down, removed from their ministry role because they forgot they aren't the point. It takes different forms, and there's different versions of this, but they forgot they're not the point. The constant theme is coming to believe that their platform was for them. It often, most of the cases I'm aware of, starts pretty subtly at first, but the problem is that even if slowly, even if imperceptibly slowly, you, you slide yourself into the spotlight, inevitably you displace Jesus from it. The temptation is to believe that Jesus' shoes belong to us, rather than echoing the refrain constantly, his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. The fact is, Grace, we cannot, we, we, we have to settle on something. Untying sandals was the job of the lowest of the low servants. And so if you're not even worthy to do that, it's also what made Jesus washing of the disciples' feet so scandalous. But if you're not even worthy to do that, then what? Our charge is to love God. Hear this, Grace. Our charge, your charge, if you're calling on the name of Jesus, and even if you're not, but our charge is to love God with all that we have, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then to lay our lives down to proclaim the name of Christ. Not Dave, not Bob, not Sally, to proclaim the name of Jesus, to get glory for him and to rob none of it. I remember my dad used to have this big bottle of coins. It was massive, and I have no idea how much money it held, but every I don't know, year, two years, whatever, he'd empty it all and put it in these little rolls. They don't even have those anymore, do they? Little coin rolls? I don't know. But you'd put so many in a roll and it would be like $5 worth of nickels and $10 worth of dimes. And and as I did that, I remember sliding like three or four coins under my leg. I was helping my dad. I was stealing from my dad. An amount that made no sense. Like, what am I going to do with three pennies or something like that? And and it was from my dad, which is weird, worse, worse still. But we need to guard ourselves, Grace. We need to guard ourselves. Our charge is to love God with all we have, love our neighbors ourselves, and lay our lives down to tell the world about Jesus. None of us are immune from the temptation to steal Jesus' shoes rather than wash his feet. Jesus described John the Baptist as the greatest man in history to that point. And yet he clearly knew that he was nothing compared to the one he was called to point to. When leaders fall, it tends to make the headlines in a different way than you all, than than just normal Christian members of a normal Christian church. 
but it doesn't make the fall any less likely or tragic that you're sitting in the pews rather than standing on the stage. Guard yourselves, therefore, against the two ditches of Christian ministry that John models so well for us. Guard yourself against failing to do ministry. That's one ditch. That's one danger. You just don't talk about Jesus, whether it's because you're embarrassed or too shy or or, or whatever. The one ditch is to guard against talking like John, that the Christ has come, believe in him and be saved. You can have new life today because the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. They're going to look at you like they're nuts, just like they did John. Who are you? (laughs) They're going to say that to you. I'm nobody. Don't worry about me. I'm just a herald. Guard against the ditch of not doing that, of not telling people about Jesus. And second, guard against the ditch of doing so for your own glory, for your own platform, for your own namesake, to make yourself feel better. Tell people about Jesus and help them grow in their faith. Don't be silent, but as you do, don't let any amount of success from your perspective or theirs, or failure from your perspective or theirs, cause you to take your eyes off of Jesus as the center and the goal. If you're a Christian and you're not sure what to do about either of those, how to engage in ministry the way that I'm talking about or how to avoid doing it for your own glory, talk to someone today. Don't don't leave confused about either of those things. The Christian life is about glorifying Jesus by telling others about him. It's not about making you feel special. John the Baptist gives us a tremendous example of both of those in this passage. Look at verse 28. I want to say just a really quick word before going to the final section. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The encouraging aspect of this simple note is another reminder of the historicity of the Christian faith. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a parable. Jesus will tell some parables later, and it'll be clear from the context that that's what he's doing. But this isn't one of those. It's a real story of what really happened to real people in real places for the salvation of the world. It's a grave error to treat the historical factual portions of the Bible as if they were fictitious stories intended to make a simple spiritual point. They are spiritual as well in that they are given to us by the Spirit, but they are factual as well. Don't forget that as we work our way through here. As we come to the final section of our passage, and keep in mind the simple fact that Jesus hasn't shown up in this gospel yet. He's talked about in the, in the introduction, the first 18 verses, but we haven't seen him yet in this gospel. John the Baptist had created quite a stir, but Jesus' public ministry hadn't begun yet in this timeline. Well, in 29 to 34, we're introduced to Jesus and given a brief glimpse of him through the eyes of the Baptist. Look at 29. The next day, so he'd had this conversation, who are you? Are you are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? No, 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 no. I'm a herald. The, the very next day, this delegation comes back to him. And as they did, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the sin of the world. This is he of whom I, I said... After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend on him like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I want to close by inviting you to picture this. You got you to, gotta, again, get your heads around this. Kids, you read, you read, I know a lot of you read a lot, and you love to put yourself in the story. Put yourself in the story. Just imagine this with me in closing. You'll never respond to this the way you should if you can't do that. You've got to kind of forget what you already know about it and get into this. You have to do your best to put yourself in the position of the skeptical Jewish delegation. Pretty much all they knew was that some guy was causing a ruckus among their people, people that they understood themselves to be in charge of in some ways were, claiming that the kingdom of God was near. It's a strange, just the kingdom of God isn't near. Some guy's doing that, people are following, they're getting baptized, which is weird at the time. They'd most likely been sent to get a reasonable explanation, which in their minds was unlikely, or a sufficient reason to shut the whole operation down. So they're, they're confused. They're not the ones. The ones that came aren't the ones in power. They've been sent to do this. They don't know what to do. They're confused. And What's going on? Well, upon initial investigation, John must have seemed quite a bit kooky, but definitely passionate. That's, that's, my guess is that's their assessment to this point. This guy's weird, but man, he's serious about what he's talking about. The next day, however, in our passage right here, things hit another level. Here's, here's my paraphrase. The idea is that John had baptized Jesus at some point previously, all right? So it had already happened. John had baptized Jesus. We read about it in the other gospel accounts, but at some point earlier, John had baptized Jesus, and here in this passage, Jesus was approaching. John cried out, it's him. I've been talking to you guys. I'm, I'm here to tell you about him. He, it's, there he is. He's the one I've been telling you about. He's coming towards us right now. He's the one I came to bear witness to. He's the one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He is the one that is preeminent in all things. And even though I'm older than him, he existed before me. Chew on that. <laughs> you, you, you think it's been weird so far? Check this out. He is the very Son of God. More than that, he is the one who has come to take away our sins. And you just picture these religious leaders' minds kind of exploding here. He is the one. He, he is here to be the sacrifice that God requires. We've offered how many lambs as a people in sacrifice? How many lambs... Have we spilled their blood for our sins? That's him. He is the Lamb of God. I told you yesterday that I baptize with water, but the guy coming to us right now will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I know you're skeptical. (laughs) I know this sounds so crazy to you all. I know you don't like what I'm saying, but I'm telling you it's true. And I know it's true because God himself commanded me, commissioned me to do this baptizing, to do this preaching, to announce that the Christ was near. I didn't know who it was. I had my my suspicions. I didn't know who it was, and I didn't know for sure when he would come, but God even gave me help with that. He even told me that you'll know the Christ is here when in your ministry I send the Spirit to come down and to descend and remain upon him. And he did. He did. He caused the Spirit to descend on this man coming towards us in my presence. Everything God said happened exactly as he said it would happen. 
looked like a dove sat on his shoulder. Everything happened just as God said it would, and there he is, behold, the Lamb of God. Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh, man, what did we get ourselves into? Can you imagine, Grace Church, can you imagine being among these priests and Levites, this delegation sent by the authorities from Jerusalem? Can you imagine being the watching Jews? All they knew was this guy talks in a way that's different than these other leaders. There's something about what he's saying and the way he's saying it that isn't pretentious. It's obvious it's not about him. He he seems to be from God, and he just, man, he just dropped a bomb on these guys. Can you imagine being John the Baptist, standing there having just said this and declared this and watching Jesus, your relative, coming towards you as the Christ? So here's the deal, Grace. This is a man worth telling the world about. This is a man worth telling the world about. He is one who deserves all the glory. John knew that and was eager to proclaim him and get out of the way. He must become greater. I must become lesser. He was eager to cry out the good news that this man brought into the world no matter the cost, and it cost him his head. He cut his head off for this eventually. He was eager to cry out the good news that this man brought into the world no matter the cost. John wasn't concerned about his reputation, his comfort, his dreams, or even his life. He was amazed enough by the power of God and in the Christ that all of that faded into the back as he lived out God's commission on his life. And so must we, Grace. Here's our takeaway. So must we. Jesus is still the Lamb of God. He has taken away the sins of the world. He will take away your sins right now if you will receive him in faith. He is still baptizing in the Holy Spirit. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit if you put your trust in Jesus. He will convict you and empower you and preserve you and illuminate truth for you and bring peace to you if you trust in him. He is still the only Son of God. He is still the Christ. He is still preeminent. He is still the one whose sandals no one is worthy to untie. And we still have the commission to tell the whole world about him regardless of the cost for the glory of God. Behold the Lamb of God, Grace Church.